And welcome everybody to another episode of the Morbidly Deceased Podcast. I am your host, JT McCallum, and I'm joined today by Evan Dilworth <laughs> and, and a guest uh, by the name of uh, Troy Howarth. Um, how are you doing today, Troy? Well, I'm good. Always happy to be talking about Dario Orgetto. <laughs> Perfect. That's amazing. So, Evan, how did you, like, is this like a Facebook friendship that you guys had? Yeah. And you um, it over? Yeah, I've, like, I've talked to him a couple times through Messenger, and then uh, he uh, shared the the new trailer for Argento's new movie, and I was kind of excited, and I believe we were talking about um, wanting, like, Argento's other movies on 4K, and we were talking about uh, Inferno being one of them, because I think that would, like, that movie would benefit the most from the format. Right. So I was like, we were talking about that the other day, too. Right. Um, so, Troy, how did you get into Dario Argento movies? Um, oh, I guess kind of a long story, but I'll try and keep it short so I don't spend 45 minutes talking about this <laughs> one question. Um, the, the first Argento film I ever saw was Creepers, the American release of uh, Phenomena that was, you know, butchered. Um, I would have seen that, I guess, probably around 1986 or so on video. I had no idea who he was at that time. Um, I started to become more aware of his name because he was talked about a lot in Fangoria. Um, he was at that time, uh, one of the major names in horror, not just Italian, but horror in general, along with John Carpenter, George Romero and so forth. Um, I don't think I really started to be seriously, seriously interested in his work until later though, with, um, uh basically it all came about because of my fascination with Mario Bava. And once I kind of got through Mario Bava, I thought, well, maybe it's time to start delving more into Argento and uh, kind of just started working my way through the films then. But uh, uh, that would have been around 95. Yeah, 95. So, you know, it's been quite a few years now that I've been pretty much obsessed with his films. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's longer than I've been alive. So <laughs> mm. there you go. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, my Argento background is, um, as I've talked about on the show before, like the first horror movie that I ever saw was Halloween. And then I was a fan of that series until I was 13. I never ventured out of that one series, um, until I was 13 and saw Dawn of the Dead for the first time and just became totally engrossed with that entire world. And on the making of documentary, they obviously talked a lot about Dario Argento and he's interviewed on it. And I'm like, who is this guy? What movies does he make? And that was like my gateway into like all this horror stuff. And my first Argento movie that I saw was, um, my dad's friend lended me a copy of Suspiria, a copy of, um, uh, Tenebrae and a copy of um, Phenomena and I watched Suspiria at like 2 in the morning by myself when I was like 13 years old and it just had such a weird otherworldly quality to it that I've just been like chasing that dragon ever since like it's such a such a fascinating just nightmarish experience that I've never every time I ever try to show that movie to someone nobody else gets it the way that I do um, so it, it's cool to to be talking with people that also appreciate that movie yeah definitely i mean his stuff is not um is not for all tastes clearly uh you know it's it's part of the career trajectory that he had there was a period of time in the 90s he tried to kind of uh make his way over to the american film scene and make films here and and that didn't (laughs) i mean I'm, I like the movies that he did here. Don't get me wrong, but it was it was not a good idea in the sense that 
his films and his approach to this type of genre is not something the mainstream is ever really going to embrace. I mean, he's somewhere sort of partway between art house and grind house. And I think mm-hmm. that's an uncomfortable mix for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Evan, what's your Argento uh, backstory? So it's kind of like the same, the same as you almost um, Dawn of the dead. Um, I always remember like uh, when they were around anchor Bay, put out like that, big box set for dawn of the dead it was like three or four discs yeah and i remember watching the extras and everything and i remember seeing him too and i was like whoa that guy's kind of like a little weird i don't know who that is <laughs> but then like i did the kind of the same thing as i started looking into it i was like oh what's his name and i looked into it and i remember seeing the poster for suspiria and i was like okay i'm gonna check that out and right. i remember seeing the trailer with um you just see like the woman from behind and she's brushing her hair yeah and then the, the the song's playing in the background and then it just turns and it was a skeleton. I was like, I hope to God that this movie is exactly like this trailer. Cause I was like, the trailer is so awesome. <laughs> right. It is a and very then, good trailer. <laughs> I just remember like hearing it's like, Oh yeah. His movies are, you know, kind of like a mystery. And then it's like gore just comes out of nowhere. And like, there's just so violent. And I was like, all right, well this is, this is definitely what I need to see then. Yeah. So Suspiri was the first and I, I fell in love with that movie. It was just everything about it. The music, um, Jessica Harper, she's amazing in it. And then just the, the colors and everything. I was just like blown away. And I was like, it's cause it's true. It, it's almost art. like, that's art housey. And I was right. like, I, at the time I watched, I don't remember how old I was. I was like, not into that. I was like, Oh, Friday the 13th, Halloween, <laughs> right. just stuff like that. But then I'm watching this movie and I'm like, holy shit, like I'm actually, I'm enjoying this. And it's not like over the top violent all the time. It just has spots where it gets super violent. And I was yeah. like, this is incredible. This movie's amazing. And then I just started looking for his other films. And then like, I found out like he did a trilogy and it's like the three mother trilogy. So I, I had to watch those movies and then his animal trilogy. And I was just like, man, this, this is like my new favorite director now. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And like, there's, he really is a director that really like swings for the fences every time he doesn't always collide, (laughs) but he always (laughs) swings for the fences. Absolutely. Like I've even like his lesser known stuff. Like he always is trying, like you can always tell that he's putting his heart and soul into it, whether or not that connects with an audience or not is a different story. Um, I, so I, just really quickly, I've never seen his version, the Dracula 3D. Is it oh. as awful as it looked from the trailers? Or do you want me to answer that? <laughs> yeah, I, I would love if you could answer that. <laughs> um, uh... <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Yeah, it's that's, bad. That's um, it, it's it's definitely not a good film. I think um, there are a variety of reasons that the movie came about. I mean, I I think one of the funny things was when Argento was being interviewed by the Italian press and he was talking about, you know, I've always wanted to make a version of Dracula, but I never had a way into it until 3D came along. I was like, that's not true. I mean, he'd given (laughs) interviews back in the 70s and 80s where he said he had no interest in making the only Gothic he wanted to do was Phantom of the Opera, which he did do in, in 98. I'm one of the, like three or four people in the world who actually likes that movie. Right. Um, I enjoy it. I like it. I don't mind it at all. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's very misunderstood. I don't think Dracula's misunderstood. I think <laughs> it was a very ambitious project, and it came about because Twilight was big. Argento's recent films hadn't been successful. 
Um, he's desperate to keep working. It's uh, 3D is all of a sudden big. It all just seemed to make sense. Dario Argento, 3D, vampires, it can't miss. And it it, it tanked. Um, yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's not. It does have one great sequence in it where you can see the, the old magic. And there's a scene in the town hall where Dracula materializes as, as a swarm of flies and then oh, yeah. pretty much slaughters everybody in the play. That's a great scene. <laughs> there, are, there are a few shots here and there that are really, really beautiful. But part of the problem is because they're shooting in 3D, they had to do it digital. Um, Luciano Tovoli, the cinematographer, who was a great cinematographer, um, didn't, I don't think, really understood how to use digital well. It's a tough medium to work in. So it has this kind of cheap, soft core Cinemax kind of look to it the whole mm -hmm. way through that's very distracting. But every now and again, there's a beautiful shot. Um, so it does have its moments, but I, I would certainly say if you haven't seen it, don't really go out of your way to see it. It's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I... Because like that was like right around the time when I was like getting into Argento and I was like, oh shit, he's coming out with a new movie? And then I was like, uh, oh, Dracula 3D, okay. <laughs> yeah, totally I remember... I like the scene he was doing that, and I was like, "Oh, his daughter's in it, and Rutger Howard's in it." And I'm like, "Of course, I'm gonna watch it. Why the hell not?" <laughs> and then I just, I remember watching it, and it's like I had fun with it, but I was like, "Oh man, this is. I hope this isn't like the end of him because <laughs> it was. It is not. It's not great, but like I have fun with like really bad movies. So like there was a couple parts I was like, "All right, this is okay," because this is up by alley. But then the rest of the movie, I was like, "Oh, I never used to feel this way about you." Right. And I'm like, "Oh yeah. man." <laughs> but it's the so only like, Dracula movie with a with a giant a giant praying mantis. So yeah, that. <laughs> that too. I um, remember seeing that, and I was honestly, I was howling. I was laughing so hard. I was like, oh, it's one of God. those crazy Argento ideas that if the money had been there, that oh. could have done the effects better. It could have been really cool. It just yeah, for know, sure. The money was. It wasn't a cheap film. That's the thing. People always seem to think it costs nothing. It costs a lot of money, but between. The uh, the the uh, 3D and all the digital effects and uh, all the makeup effects and costumes and all, you know there just wasn't enough money for it. So there there mm. are ideas there that could have been. It starts off you know this sort of swooping camera move through a CGI village, so you feel like you're in a 1990s video game, and uh, <laughs> it's not a good way to start. And it just it it's really heartbreakingly bad in many respects, but. Uh, I'm told the 3D is actually really impressive if you can see it in 3D. I've heard that as well, where, where people say that the movie itself isn't great, but the 3D is actually pretty decent. Mm -hmm. I believe it, because he's always been really cutting edge as far as technology goes. I mean, CGI is the one area in, in Italian filmmaking that they are way behind, um, you know, the, uh, the American model, for example. I mean, they've always been way ahead of the curve when it came to practical effects and, uh, you know, the old school stuff and certainly cinematography and design and so forth, but digital, they just don't have it quite down pat yet. And, uh, yeah, I just, you know, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. I just remember, um, like one of my favorite, absolute favorite shots of practical effects from any of his movies is a uh, tenebrae when, uh, the woman gets her arm cut off with the axe and she just mm -hmm. sprays the blood all over the wall. It's, this is one of the most beautiful shots in any of his movies. I love that. Yeah, it's like a white canvas, and that was yeah. very deliberate. You know, murder as as art, which is kind of a theme that yeah. goes through his movies. He's always been sort of fascinated with these really beautiful scenes of horrible violence, which again is something that's really bizarre to a lot of people. Um, mm. You know, you either respond to that or you don't. 
Well, exactly. And that's the thing is like, um, when I tried to show, um, like my aunt who loved horror movies growing up, like she grew up in like that heyday of the seventies and eighties where it was all like the Friday the 13th movies and stuff like that. And, um, cause my dad was a big horror fan as a kid too. So he would bring home and it's funny. My dad would bring home things like, um, city of the living dead for them to watch when she was like six years old. And she would like vividly describe to me the scene where like the girl is, uh, uh, crying so hard that she starts like throwing up her intestines. <laughs> and like, that's the stuff that I was like used to hearing about when I was a kid. Um, but then I'm like, okay, well, if you watch that, there's no reason why you wouldn't like, Suspiria. So then I tried to show it, and then she's like, "What the fuck is happening? Like, this is so stupid." But I'm like, "Is it? I'm like, do you not even like appreciate it for like the beauty of it?" She's like, "It's a horror movie. It's not beautiful." I'm like, "How can you say that? That like you're we're watching the same movie, right? Like, I don't, I don't get it." Um, but one thing though um, is like obviously when you're talking about that movie in particular, you talk about the colors, obviously. Um, but the remake this is like Argento adjacent. The remake is completely stripped of color. And um, I really love the remake of Suspiria. What, what did you think of it, Troy? Um, I, I respected that uh, Guadagnino went in a very different direction. Um, I kind of wonder why he called it Suspiria because it's so different. <laughs> right. Um, if you see a Gaspar Noe film uh, called Climax, yeah, that's, far closer to what I would have thought an, a, a Suspiria remake should be like in terms of energy and color and, and aggressive music and everything. Right. Uh, Guadagnino went in a very different direction. I think it's too long. I mean, it's, it's yeah. an hour longer than the original. It adds on this whole sort of uh, East Germany sort of subplot that's going on in the batter Meinhof stuff and all these, these sort of things. Yeah. It's interesting and ambitious, but it kind of muddies the waters too much. And I have to admit, I'm not a big Tilda Swinton fan at all. So I, she's cast in three parts in that film. Um, yeah. I don't. I personally I wasn't really, a fan of her in that. At least when, when she plays the doctor. I didn't. I, that, I don't understand why they did that. That was so pointless and distracting. Because as soon as I saw it, I don't remember <laughs> if I saw a still or a trailer or whatnot. They hadn't acknowledged it yet. And as a matter of fact, she's billed under a different name Yeah, uh, in that role which is like an anagram of her own name, I guess. Um, but I was like, it's her. It's obviously yeah, her. Who are you exactly. To? You just tell her. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's, I, but I do, I do respect it for doing something different. It's a good film and it's, it's a hell of a lot better than a lot of the other remakes that we've seen in recent years. I mean, Oh God, like Rob Zombie's zombie, uh, Rob Zombie's um, Halloween, for example, which I thought was atrocious. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> Uh, various other movies that have been redone. I mean, it's, it's a good film. I just think it could have, you know, been reined in a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I totally agree on that part. Um, I just found it to be a very good, um, like a companion piece to the original Suspiria. I found that it expanded on the story in ways that the original doesn't and explained a little bit more, but, but didn't handhold it for the audience either. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the original uh, Argento Suspiria is not a, a story-driven film. Um, right. <laughs> of course, it was. It derived from Daria Nicolodi in many respects, the relationship he had with her, and um, she brought a lot to that particular film and, and their, you know, sort of reading of Thomas De Quincey and so forth, you know, getting the whole Suspiria mythology and all that sort of thing. Um, right. You know, bringing that into it, but... It's it's more of a, a bravura technical exercise. It's it's audiovisual in, in the truest sense of the term. Um, the the story itself is admittedly a little bit thin, but that's okay. It, right. it sustains for what you need for an hour and a half. Right. <laughs>
um, yeah, so I just kind of want to like, it's not a very long trailer. It's like, I think like two minutes or whatever, but his new film, uh, Black Glasses is coming out. Um, I think it just premiered, didn't it? It, it like premiered yesterday? at the Berlin Festival uh, yesterday, the 11th February, which, um, funnily enough, it deals with uh, blindness as a central theme. And Argento's second film, uh, The Cat of Nine Tales, also dealt with blindness, and that yep. premiered um, uh, on the 11th of February, 1971. So, oh, wow. Nice yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> that's really uh, um, it, Yeah, so, like, again, like, he's obviously to me not been at the top of his game the past few years i think like the last really good movie that i enjoyed was probably uh trauma from like i think it's 93 and like i didn't mind like stefan um Stendhal syndrome and stuff like that but like a lot of the other stuff like giallo and mother of tears was okay but this actually got me really excited i mean I think it's like the first couple of seconds of the trailer. It's just like somebody laying on the ground, gargling blood. There's blood everywhere. And I was like, all right, here we go. This is what I came to see, and I cannot wait for it. Yeah, it's a script that he wrote 20 years ago. It was meant to be done after Sleepless. Um, and unfortunately, it got tied up in a bankruptcy thing with the producers, and he couldn't get the rights back to it for years. So it's something he's wanted to make for a long time. Um, after Dracula had failed, he hadn't made a film in 10 years, um, yeah, which yeah. is the longest break he's ever had. Um, between that, his advancing age and, and the failure of his recent films, I really didn't think he was going to get it going, but I was surprised that he did. And, um, there's never been an Argento film that's been like universally praised. It's, there's no such movie that you can go back and say, Oh, everybody loved this. Yeah. Um, the, the recent films, personally, I hated his last three films. I thought the last three films were terrible, but the ones before that, I can find much to like in most of them. I think his last great film was Descend All Syndrome. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that's one of his best films, actually. But it's a very disturbing movie, very dark movie, but a movie I love very much. But that's, you know, 1996, so that's that's a bit of a ways ago. Oh, um, yeah. I've liked most of the other ones since then, um, but, you know, the last three were pretty bad, but when I heard this was actually coming and then it was coming out and, you know, all of a sudden the information just sort of drops. Like there was very little pre-publicity for this thing. It's just yeah. all of a sudden it's playing at the Berlin film festival. Oh, here's a teaser trailer. Here's a poster, which incidentally is totally ripped off from they live. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, then all of a sudden the full trailer comes. I'm like, this is really a weird way to release this movie. Cause it's supposed to come out in theaters in Italy the 24th of this month. So it's like you know, almost <laughs> here. Yeah. Um, but the reaction yesterday at the Berlin Festival, um, some friends of mine in Germany were in attendance, were there. Said so Dario was there and he was in great spirits and very enthusiastic. And uh, it went over pretty well. I mean, people, a lot of people seem to really like it a lot. Um, there were That's some cool. bad reviews, of course, but it sounds very promising. So I'm going in with um, realistic expectations. I don't expect it to be a masterpiece, but I, I just hope it's a good movie. Yeah. And I, like honestly, I think maybe this like I know he probably had to wait to get the rights back for it, like you said. But I think this maybe this is going to be a good thing that little break he had, you know, kind of get back into it. I'm sure he probably had. Yeah, I there's not a doubt in my mind when you watch any extras or him talk about making his films, he was probably as excited and energetic as he was before, just wanting oh, to yeah. do something that he wanted to do. And honestly, when I watched that teaser, I was at work. I 
I had goosebumps. I got so excited. I was like, I cannot wait for this. Like, and it's been a long time since I've been like that for him. Cause I always go back to his older films and I watch those and I'm like, here we go. This is my comfort food right here. I'll just watch his older things because I know I love them. They're going to be good and they're not going to like disappoint me in any way. And, and I know I'm going to get enjoyment out of them. So I'm just, after seeing that trailer, I'm like, okay, I think he's back. I think this is like that break he needed. And I think this is going to be really good for him and it's going to be big. I think, I think it's, it has potential. I hope it does well. If it does well, that could be really good for him. Um, if he plans to make more films or not, I don't know. Um, you know, he's, he's going to be 82 this year, but there's nothing to say he could continue if he wants to. Um, you know, I think the break, I think the fact it was a script that he really, really wanted to make. Um, Mm -hmm. they made the decision to shoot the film in Italian, which is the first time he's done that since a movie he made in the seventies called the five days. Um, all of his other films have been shot in English, uh, even though they're, they're ultimately dubbed. But um, sometimes the dubbing, especially on the more recent films, has left a lot to be desired. So I think the fact that he's allowing the actors to speak their natural language and everything is going to help, too. And also a young, uh, enthusiastic crew. So um, there's a lot of reasons to think this one could turn out to be a nice return to form. Yeah. And it was exciting to see that. Uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before, too, that uh, Shutter has picked it up apparently already. So it's mm-hmm. going to have streaming, thank God, because like I was kind of worried about that. I was like, how am I going to see this? How like what am I going to do? Is there going to be a release here for us? Or am I going to have to import something? What is like? I, I was just like already immediately thinking. I'm like, how am I going to see this movie? And then they're like, yeah, Shutter got it for the like got the rights to stream. And I was like, there we go. That's how I'm going to watch yeah. it. And I'm just I'm so pumped because I'll be able to watch it because I don't want to miss it at all. Yeah, they'll they'll stream it, and then I'm sure they'll give it a physical release too on disc. So that'll be. That'll be a good thing. Um, I'm very excited to see it. I mean, I wish I could see it theatrically. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. The odds of that getting a theatrical release of any kind of real, you know, importance over here is probably pretty slim. But again, you never know. I mean, you know, strange things have happened, I guess. And that's the thing, too. Like, JT and I are from, from Canada. And it's usually Toronto. Uh, a theater or two out there will usually get, like, a screening of a movie like this or something and it's usually one or two you know showings or that but we don't get a lot of this stuff shown here and that's kind of like a big, big bummer because i would love to see you know like i went and seen uh, what was it, turbo kid in the theater and i was beyond excited for it because like i seen the trailer I was like oh i can't wait to watch this i'll probably have to get a dvd or whatnot and then it was playing in a theater downtown so i like immediately got home from work and went down there and caught it and I, uh, it's just, it's a big movie that I'll always remember seeing a screening for. So I, no. if it does gain the attention and whatnot, and hopefully it makes its rounds, I'm just praying that one of the yeah, theaters, I mean, like in Toronto, at least get a showing or two for it, because I'll be there in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah. I hope so. I mean, it's been a long time since he's had a film. Um, certainly, the last movie he directed that had a major theatrical release in the U.S. was uh, Reaper. Yeah, um, yeah. New line put that what, over like here. Forty years ago. <laughs> well, yeah, that was 1985. So yeah, it's been a long time. Opera was supposed to come out through um, Orion, but they went bust. So that never ended up happening. Um, other films, you know, just they they kind of played the festival circuits and maybe got real minor little releases in L.A. and Chicago and you know uh, New York City and places like that, but. I'm in a small town in Pennsylvania, a, a town that's name checked in Dawn of the Dead, by the way, Dawn's town. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> we don't get movies like this here. It doesn't happen. 
Yeah. It's, it's when stuff like that happens, it's always so disappointing because, especially being like such a fan of the genre and whatever, and if it's like a director you really appreciate, it's like you just you want to see it so bad, but it's like, why can't it come here? And like, why can't somebody just be like, you know what, let's give it a shot, let's let's try and bring it in? Yeah, hopefully, I, I, I'd really love to see it happen yeah. if at all possible. But I mean, the fact that this is a movie, a new movie of his that's not getting sort of torn to shreds already is, is very promising because it's been a long time since I've had. Mm, yeah because i remember with dracula it was like right away um oh, pretty yeah. much in the dumpster and everybody was like there's nothing good about it it's mm, no <laughs> it's shit no, uh, cgi is bad everything is like, like this is this is not good yeah I I like, like, none of his films have been universally acclaimed but it seems like oh my god it's been a long time really i mean most of the films have been badly regarded at least initially Stendhal syndrome was not well regarded trauma uh, mm-hmm. Julie wise um you know so it's it's been a long time in coming yeah and like i i feel like he's sort of outlived that period of like the the mid like the early to mid 2000s where like directors were like these legendary directors from the 70s and 80s were doing like really just like low tier <laughs> stuff like when romero did diary of the dead and survival of the dead and john carpenter did his last movie the ward and like you know like that just weird period of time where these guys that like used to be making wonderful, great, not a huge budget, but a bigger than what they had stuff. And I feel like that's what, like, especially Dracula 3D got lumped into. But I feel like he's kind of extended himself beyond that now. And, like, I feel like we're out of that stage. Um, oh, hopefully. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I do have a vague recollection. I don't know if you remember this, Troy or Evan, but um, of them almost making like a movie called Sandman with Iggy yeah. Pop. Yes. As, okay. I was going to say like, did that, that never happened, right? No, no, okay, no. Was that like was a, a big dream. There, there was a big stink about that because it, it's, uh, it's not his fault. Um, he, that was going to be a kind of gun for hire thing where he attached himself to it, but it, it was crowdfunded um, to the tune of, I forget however many dollars. And nothing has ever happened with it. And I don't think anything ever will. And I'm sure that the people who put their money into it now are, are wondering if they're ever going to get it back. Um, yeah. He has nothing to do with that aspect of it. But, you know, um, yeah, it was it was supposed to be, oh, my God, it was, you know, well over 10 years ago at this point that this this thing was gearing up and Iggy Pop was going to star in it. And, yeah. Uh, well, nothing, nothing ever happened. It was with it. I don't think it will. Because it was like one of those movies, too, where it's like, you first heard about it and then it went quiet and then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, here we go. We're gearing up into production. It's going to happen. And you know, it's, it's, it's happening. And then all of a sudden it went quiet again and then you'd hear about it. And I'm like, I give up. It's it's not happening. But I didn't know, I didn't know that it wasn't like his, his project. I didn't know it was just like, he was just going to get, you know, hired to do it. I thought maybe he wrote and everything, but I didn't know that. No, it was, it was in that period of things like uh, Giallo and Dracula, which were, you know, those were more gun for hire projects. Um, yeah. I mean, he did have a hand in the writing of those films. He did help to adapt Dracula himself, but it was not, it wasn't a project he really originated. It was some, it wasn't something that he came up with. It was something that other people came up with and he decided to go with it. It was just the same with Giallo, uh, yeah. the same. And of course, even with the uh, the Masters of Horror episodes that he did, that was the first time he ever had made films that uh, he hadn't personally written himself. Um, although, again, he did kind of go in and, and fine tune things the way he wanted them. But for years and years, he wrote his own material, 
and with the exception of a couple of things that were based on other material like Phantom of the Opera, for example, yeah. um, you know, it was pretty much original stuff. Yeah. And I, it's funny. Cause I remember, um, we used to have, um, a company here called star choice and they had a, a channel where they played, um, everything horror related. And I remember that's when season one of masters of horror came out. And I think his was like a, the fourth or fifth episode, but I remember watching cause I was excited. I was like, Oh, he's doing something for like kind of TV movie thing. And I remember watching it and it's Jennifer. And I was like, this is so weird. I was like, this is weird for Argento. It's such a weird, like, I remember seeing the creature. I was like, what the hell is going on in this? And it's like guys like kind of like falling in love with her. I was like, Oh man, this, this is different. <laughs> but then pelts. I remember pelts in season two and I love that one. I, I, I really like that yeah. episode a lot. I, I think pelts is the best thing he's done in the 21st century. Um, that's a really, really good piece of work that that feels like Argento in a way that uh, Jennifer doesn't. I've grown to like Jennifer more than I did initially. Um, but Peltz is like, that's really, really good inspired stuff. And it was really fun to see John Saxon in it too. You know, again, after yeah, that, yeah, it was cool to see him in it. Break, so yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Um, how many movies did he write with his wife? Well, they were never married. Um, a lot of people think that they were, and they, they really weren't. It's a funny thing. I mean, one of the things I talked about in, in my book is that I think because he and Dario Nicolodi were joined together for so long, you know, and they were, they were identified a certain way, they think that they were together for many years. Their relationship started to fall apart way back on Suspiria <laughs> because <laughs> of uh, various different issues there. Um, the, the only one officially that she co-wrote with him is Suspiria. Um, she claimed, and I do believe her, that she had a very heavy hand in writing Inferno as well, but uh, he did not give her credit on that. So um, only the two uh, in terms of that. They did apparently devise a third third mother's project that they were going to do in the 80s, but that never came to be in the film that he ended up making years later. had nothing to do with that. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, uh- for some reason, like I always thought that they did more than just those two movies together. And she was in a bunch of them, obviously. Yeah, you know, exa- right, exactly. Um, all the way through opera, but no, just just those two. And again, the only one where you'll see her name on the, the credits as a screenwriter is Suspiria. But um, yeah, I do believe she was being honest about having co-written Inferno. Interesting. Um so obviously like his wife was in like a lot of the movies as like if not the protagonist then like not she she never played like just like a super tiny character um but then later on his daughter kind of took on that role like do you have any insight do you think into why he did that do you think it's just like he just wants to work with people that he knows and knows that they can like make weird art together or like do you think because i a lot of people have like tried to say that um he's like putting his like repressed feelings against daria but like onto his daughter like do you subscribe to any of that or no i think a lot of that sort of armchair analysis i mean some of the there's no doubt that some of the things that he's had Ozia do in his films is is unusual for a father to subject his daughter to. Right. <laughs> but that's a kind of cultural thing that we we tend to look at it, whereas the European attitude is very different in Italy and so forth. Um, he's always said that on the set, she's just another actress. You know, it, it's not he's not asking her to do anything he wouldn't ask another actress to do. Right. Um, 
Daria Nicolotti and he had started off on a very, very happy note on Deep Red, where she played the best role that she ever played for him in that film. She's kind of the co-lead with David Hemmings in that film. And she's actually the one who's who's the real hero in that film, because Hemmings, Hemmings' character is basically kind of useless in many respects. He's <laughs> he's not very um he's he's not very good at doing what he's trying to do. He's uh, quite <laughs> inept in many respects. I mean, the performance is brilliant, but the character is not a particularly uh, strong or assertive character. So there's that whole sort of battle of the sexes thing that goes through the movie. That's a lot of fun. Um, as their relationship deteriorated, she started getting roles that sometimes were not as flattering. Look at her at the end of Phenomena, for example, where she's been sort of dowdied up in that film um, with the glasses and the not very flattering hairdo and, and dress style and so forth. I mean, she's still a young and beautiful woman at that point, but kind of dowdies her up in the movie. And she comes to a very nasty end in it. She comes to a nasty end in, in opera as well. Yeah. Um, so I think there was a little bit of that sort of, you know, passive aggressiveness coming through <laughs> in terms of that. But um, it, as far as Asia goes, you know, um, her her upbringing wasn't the best because I think Dario wasn't necessarily the father of the year in the sense that he was very focused on his career and he wasn't always around. Uh, it sounds like he was a good dad, but he was very distracted by his career, whereas Daria had a lot of personal demons and so forth. And, and that resulted in a very strained relationship with Asia. And uh, she's been sort of exercising that herself in her own films that she's directed, um, which are semi-autobiographical. Um, but, uh, you know, she came to be a lot closer to her dad working with him um, in the films that he directed, starting with Trauma. And, uh, you know, she kind of became for a period of time his sort of muse in in those films. Um, but as her own career took off and she started being more in demand and, and especially lost interest in acting, really, and wanted to direct, uh, she sort of started going off in different directions, which caused a little bit of strain there as well. So I know there were times he wanted her to be in certain projects and she couldn't be. And there were there were some bruised feelings there. Right. I am. Um... I remember too, like I remember seeing her throughout, uh, throughout like when she started in trauma and she was in the movies. But I remember I got really excited for some reason when uh, I seen her in Land because I was like, oh, oh that's dead, yeah. that's so cool. Like Argento uh, was working with Romero on Dawn, and then you know, kind of like to say, hey, he's like, all right, we'll have Asia in it, and I was like, that is so cool. Just he put his daughter in it, and it's a, it's a good role. I love her in it. And it was just, it was just nice to see her in in yeah in one of her Marilyn I, I, movies. I, I know I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's, first time I, I saw know. Land of the Dead too. I was like, oh, that's really cool. That's a, it's a nice little reference to because like obviously like Night of the Living Dead was its own thing, but then um, Argento was really the person that got Dawn of the Dead off the yeah. ground, right? So like it's it's a nice little callback to that. So yeah, it, yeah, it was I, really I, I totally it was really cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we only have like three minutes left for this one and then we'll send like another uh, link just to kind of like wrap things up like another 10-15 minutes or so. Um, mm-hmm. But quickly before before this one's done, um, do you have like a, a top, th- like everyone when they talk about Argento, um, it's mainly like Suspiria, Tenebrae and uh, Deep Red. Do you have like a top three of ones that aren't really well known or like ones that you think should be talked about more? Uh, well, the ones that aren't talked about as much that I like a lot, uh, I'd certainly say, uh, the Stendhal syndrome is a big one. 
Um, his half of Two Evil Eyes, The Black Cat, with oh, Harvey Keitel. Yeah. I think that's absolutely brilliant. And for whatever reason, it just doesn't get the attention it deserves. And uh, for a third one, it doesn't get talked about as much as it should. Um, maybe Four Flies and Grey Velvet. Uh, I think that one's a lot of fun. Although the fact that it hasn't been really readily available in a definitive version has probably hurt it. What? I, I just read something about that. I think it was Jared from uh, Mondo Macabre. Um, he's apparently somebody in the U S has the rights to it. He's like, we don't have it, but somebody picked them up. So I'm either thinking arrow's going to have it or maybe Severin will put it out. I'm hoping I'm, I'm praying to God because yeah, like, uh, what was it? Uh, Maya communication or whatever, put out a DVD. Well, that was, a, but that was a bootleg. That was a bootleg. That wasn't even legally. None of the yeah. editions have been legally authorized because Argento and his brother Claudio own the rights to the film and they've never, there's never been a deal, you know, in the yeah. past, those video editions were all bootlegs. And it's just like everywhere you read about it, it's like, that's probably one of the most requested movies for him, like from his you know, mm-hmm. filmography to be put out. And I, I would love something for it because I, you know, need more agenda in my collection anyways. <laughs> Roses are red, violets are blue. Okay, so um, people often refer to Argento as like the Italian Hitchcock, but I've never felt that that's a necessarily appropriate comparison. Um, I've always seen him as something completely different than Hitchcock. Like I understand what they're saying in terms of suspense, but like personally, I don't really necessarily agree with that. Do you guys have any opinions on that? No, they're very different. Um, Hitchcock's films are very precise and very orderly and very neat and uh uh you know his his storyboard approach is is very particular and his stories tend to be very logically plotted and and worked out argento is not really that concerned with logic which is another thing that upsets people (laughs) um this is this is true of the giallo in general though giallo tend to be a lot more um concerned with with showpieces than they are with everything always adding up Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there are some Argento films where he plays fair and it really does kind of make sense. Deep Red basically makes sense. There are a couple of little <laughs> things here and there that don't really, but by and large, it makes sense. And the big twist is certainly really brilliantly worked out, but um, they're very different. I, I would say it's just kind of typical thing that they do where, you know, it's like with the European Westerns, you know, they want to call them spaghetti Westerns. And they just want to have this kind of nice, easy thing that they can categorize things as. But uh, Argento's approach is very, very different, I think. Yeah, exactly. Like, I've always found Hitchcock to be, like, while some of his stories can be certainly fantastic, but I, I would never say that anything that he's done is even remotely close to anything that Argento does. Um, so that, that comparison's always kind of bothered me a little bit. Um, what was I going to say? 
Um, so before we stopped, like the little break there, um, we were talking about um, the the three movies that uh, that you enjoyed that don't really get talked about. What are uh, three movies of his that get talked about too much? You think, <laughs> and you are actually don't deserve the praise that they get, or do you think that they, it's all pretty equally distributed? Uh, I I wouldn't say that any of them don't deserve to be talked about. I mean, the one that everybody is, is in love with is Suspiria and I get it. And I, I totally understand that. I think it's a wonderful film. It's not my favorite of his though, to be honest, even in terms of uh, comparing it with Inferno, I prefer Inferno uh, myself. I think Inferno is a really amazing film that um, sometimes kind of lets people down a little bit because it's, it's kind of an artier film than Suspiria in some respects. It's not quite as much fun maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it has this wonderful dreamy quality to it that's really really wonderful and uh uh i don't know i mean it's not that i think suspiria is not overrated and i don't think that it's it's talked about too much it's just one of those situations of a movie that is has such a long shadow that i think sometimes a lot of his other movies don't get talked about enough in, in comparison sure yeah um another thing that i want to talk about too is a lot of the times you'll see like really popular or like really good like american actors or even british actors show up in these movies like when you have like john saxon just shows up and it's just you never like i i to me i couldn't even imagine that like audition process where like john saxon shows up to talk with dario argento like it just seems like such a weird uh occurrence or like uh in phenomena when like donald pleasance is there and he's just like doing his thing yeah. he's like this weird character right like yeah. it's just so strange to me well he's always shot for the moon with actors i mean even going back uh to uh some of his earlier films i mean the donald pleasance role in phenomena originally he tried to get uh peter Ustinov, who was an oscar winner and in fact, he had Orson Welles all lined up to do it. Orson Ooh. Welles was, was going to do it, and he was unwell. He wasn't able to do it. Wow, um, I didn't know so that. So Donald Pleasant thought to do it, which, I mean, uh, that would have been something. That would have been yeah. really interesting. Um, he had certainly offered the lead role of Phantom of the Opera to John Malkovich. Um, it has been said that he offered it to Anthony Hopkins, which I never, I don't know if I buy that at that seems a really weird piece of casting considering yeah, that would be very strange. That would have really been weird because the Phantom <laughs> in the film is kind of this hunky kind of presence. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins does seem hunky at this stage in his career. Um, Malkovich would have been interesting casting for sure. But I mean, he's had Harvey Keitel, Max von Sydow, who was maybe the best actor he ever worked with. Um, yeah. Sleepless gives a wonderful performance. David Hemmings, uh, Tony Masante, Carl Malden had recently, um, you know, been uh, in a major film Patton when he did that so mm-hmm. he's always had interesting Adrian Brody too in, in yeah. Uh, Giallo yeah yeah well that was an unhappy experience for everybody because the uh, producers were not on the level and, and people didn't end up getting paid including Adrian Brody and including Tario Orchette oh wow I yeah, didn't know that there was That's a crazy. lot of stuff that went on with that movie <laughs> there's a lot of litigation that went on there and wow. uh, I guess it was settled eventually but you know it's never been made public with what people got for it wow uh, that's crazy. Yeah, he, he's he's always had interesting people in his films. Really good actors, um, you know. From uh, Tenebrae, uh, Anthony Franciosa ended up playing the part after uh, he wasn't able to get Christopher Walken. Um, oh wow! Walken would have been interesting, but I think Walken would have been a little too you know tip off creepy. Um, whereas Anthony <laughs> Franciosa is wonderfully kind of relaxed and charming and witty and funny. Um, so that final. T- 
twist at the end is is really shocking because you know you would think that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean he's he's always kind of tried to get big name actors. Well, same same with music too. Like I read that he tried to get yeah. Pink Floyd to do a couple scores. Uh, the story was he had had tried to get Pink Floyd for Four Flies and Gray Velvet, and that he had tried to get them for Deep Red as well. Um, he did manage to get you know music by like Iron Maiden in his films, right? Um, you know, our Manny Morricone scored his first three films, and then came yeah. back and did a couple in the, in the '90s as well. Uh, Daft Punk was reportedly supposed to score. The new film, Ocale Neri, uh, or Dark Glasses, um, but they ended up breaking up, so that didn't happen. Um, oh. <laughs> so yeah, he's always sort of had his finger on the pulse music-wise and has, has always tried to have interesting um, interesting composers. You know, uh, uh, Roger Eno and Brian Eno, Eno being involved in the scores as well. Um, you know, Bill Wyman from the Rolling Stones wrote some wonderful music for opera and for phenomena. So yeah, mm-hmm. lots of good stuff. And of course we would be remiss if we didn't even mention Goblin, which uh-huh. practically defined <laughs> Argento's work to yeah. me, at least like the, I, the, the two are so synonymous with me. Like I can't separate those two. So every time it's an Argento movie without a Goblin score, it just feels <laughs> it's so strange. It's weird. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. The yeah, funny I, thing I, is they didn't really even score that many films for him. It's just that yeah. they did, you know, um, Tenebrae is a goblin score in everything but name. They just didn't have the drummer, so they couldn't, by, you know, legal uh, definition, call themselves goblins. So it's credited to Simonetti, Moranti, and Piccadilly. Right. Um, you know, uh, but uh, they, they came back later to do Sleepless, which is a great score as well. But yeah, principally, they're best known for having scored Deep Red and Suspiria, as well as uh, the, uh, you know, the original music that was written for Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, that's like, going back to my whole point about like Dawn of the Dead being such a jumping off point is like, Dawn of the Dead has that Goblin score. So like, I was instantly being like, well, what other movies did they do a score for? <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's all, it's all blended together to me. Um, and they, yeah, like, um the the deep red soundtrack is awesome too and like tenebrae is awesome and i just love like all of their work they did like i was this 14 year old weirdo learning how to play the suspiria and tenebrae and deep red theme on piano because like i was just so obsessed with it at that period of my life um yeah it was just pretty funny um i just wanted to uh ask about murder by design because i figured we would we should probably talk about it um how did like how did you decide like one day you're like, I want to write a, a book just about Argento and his films. I want to go in, you know, into everything about him. Uh, funnily enough, the publisher Midnight Marquis um, had asked me to do a book about him a number of years back. And at that time I didn't want to for a variety of reasons. I had just done so deadly, so perverse, which is about Jello films. And I figured I'd covered, you know, most of his movies there anyway. Um, and uh, there were no shortage of books on the ground about Dario Argento. There are quite a few of them. Um, I think, you know, some of the better ones would certainly be Maitland McDonough's book, Broken Mirrors, Broken Minds, which is a really good kind of uh, uh, sort of analytical study of his films, uh, a more sort of scholarly approach, uh, whereas the uh, uh, Alan Jones book, you know, The Man, The Myths, and The Magic is more the kind of gossipy behind-the-scenes book you know, where you can hear about, you know, all the pitching and everything else. That <laughs> yeah. um, 
And so at that time, I said, you know what? I don't really want to do Argento, but I would like to do a book on Lucio Fulci. And so that was, at that time, I did Splintered Visions instead. And eventually came back to it largely because my friend Rob Ruston, um, who is from the UK, um, was writing to me. And we were talking a lot about Dario. And I, I became aware of the fact that Rob not only is a big fan, but knows Dario and had a very direct line to him and to his uh, family and to a lot of his collaborators. And I thought, well, hey. <laughs> This is a golden opportunity for Now's me the time. here I am in, in <laughs> Hicksville, Pennsylvania. I don't have access to these people, but uh, this guy does. And I said, well, look, if I do this, you know, would you be able to get interviews with Dario and, you know, other people? And he said, oh, absolutely. And, you know, so. That must have been so exciting. It. <laughs> it was. It was an incredible experience. I mean, I wasn't there for it, but it was wonderful. And he was so kind. Um, this is somebody who does not have to give interviews. Um, he's often paid to do them. You know, anytime he does like an interview for a Blu-ray or something, you know, he's being paid for his time. Yeah. But because of his friendship with, with Rob, he said, no, 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 don't worry about it. You know, just give me the questions ahead of time. If there's any, I don't want to answer. I'll tell you. And he did answer almost every question I gave him, which, wow. covered, you know, pretty much. His That's whole incredible. Um, really, really nice. And then he was even kind enough. It was one of the proudest moments of my life when the book was published. And Rob was finally, you know, thanks to all the pandemic and, and everything that's been going on with COVID for how long, he was finally able to get over to Rome to see him, uh, gave him his own copy of the book, and, and Dario was was thrilled with it. And I got pictures of him holding it and looking through it. <laughs> that's Just awesome. uh, one of those kind of bucket list things I could never, you know, I, short of actually getting a chance to shake the man's hand, it's, it's the next best thing. Yeah, yeah that, that, would be, that would be absolutely phenomenal. And I, I like, I know it's kind of like off talk, but even um, not too long ago when uh, you posted the picture of um, Carpenter holding uh, the book that I've never seen that. And I was like, I, I can't even imagine what it's like. You spend all this time writing about him, writing about his movies and whatnot. And just to see him with like the finished product, something that you put, you know, your heart and soul into. And he's just sitting there with a big smile and he's got the book <laughs> in his hand. That's just going to yeah, be Car like, Carpenter absolutely isn't a smiley rewarding. guy, so that was that was particularly nice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, I got, to, I did get to interview him, uh, and he was also incredibly generous. Again, no, no talk of money or anything like that. He just, you know, very patiently yeah. answered my questions. And uh, uh, I mean, these are people, you know, Carpenter in particular. I've been a huge fan of his ever since I was a child, and uh, he's a big Argento fan as it happens. They're close friends and he's a big fan. And of course the Halloween theme is very much informed by the music that Belvin did for deep red. So, yeah, um, you know, that's, that's a nice little crossover, but it's surreal because these are men who've had such a huge impact on my life and to, you know, uh, it was a little gesture and, you know, who knows Carpenter could have thrown the book in the garbage afterward for all I know, but all I know <laughs> is that from that moment he did that nice gesture for me and, and I really greatly appreciated it. Something yeah. that uh, I still get a big kick out of. Do you, um, do you have anything you're doing now you kind of want to talk about that you're excited about that you can talk about? Oh, I, I do a lot of commentary work. I just did another commentary today and I've got another one next weekend and, but you know, I can't talk about these yet because the titles aren't out. Um, <laughs> I do, I do have a, a new book coming though. It's called "Make Them Die Slowly: The Kinetic Cinema of Umberto Lenzi." Oh, nice! Uh, you know, that's uh, dealing with his very extensive filmography. That uh, you know, uh, he made quite a few films in a variety of different genres. And horror fans know him best, obviously, for things like Cannibal Ferox and uh, Nightmare yeah. Cindy and things like that. But 
a very interesting long career, and that's a, a project I'm very happy with how it's turned out. I'm hoping it'll be out this spring through WK Books. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, now I'm going to sit here and, and freak out because I'm like, oh, we did commentaries for movies, and I'm like, I know what ones you've been on, so I'm like, oh, I can't wait to see what, <laughs> what they're going to be. Tell you, I can't tell you what companies or, or what titles, but I can tell you, there's some stuff coming you're going to be very happy about. Okay, see, like that, just, that doesn't make it. It makes it better, but it, it just makes make it worse it for me. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh man, I can't wait now. Well, that's exciting. That's really exciting. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I greatly appreciate you taking the time yes. out of your day to thank you so talk much with us today. Oh, you're welcome. Anytime, and uh, thank you for having me on. And uh, you know, if you're ever uh, desperate to have somebody and you have a topic you want to run by me, just let me know. <laughs> awesome that's awesome <laughs> sounds good thank you so much all right uh thank you everybody for listening to this episode of the morbidly deceased podcast i've been your host jt mccallum and i'm evan Dilworth. and have a spooky day